This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. I want to invite you to remain standing. Remain standing. Thank you so much, worship team. This morning, we are looking at, at an obscure passage, a, a book that is not normally looked at very often. And if you're a guest, I want you to know we, in the life of C3, we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. But here's what I want you to understand. Maybe you're new to C3. Maybe you're not a Christ follower and you're thinking, man, I, I don't know if I believe the Bible is the word of God. I want you to know we're okay with that. We're just glad you're here. But it would not surprise you. I don't think it would surprise you to know that we do believe the Bible is the word of God. And so in the life of C3, scripture is foundational for everything we do. It is supremely important. It is the authority, the, the, the living breath of God, infallible, inerrant, without any mixture of error. And so our entire philosophy, everything we do in the life of C3 is founded, built on the word of God. And so we honor that. And so this morning, Ruth chapter two, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, as we celebrate what you're doing in the life of our church, I pray this morning that you would speak not just to us as a church, but to us as individuals. I pray that through your spirit, you would speak to our hearts in the areas where we need to hear from you. I pray for those in this room that may not know you in a personal way, that today they would invite you to become their Savior, their Lord, like so many in this room have. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of C3. Our entire church, our future, everything about who we are, we place in your hands. As well as this community, God, help us to be faithful in representing you well in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. I have wrestled for some time with what, what do I talk about today? Like what, you, you got one shot. For the first service, like, what do I do with this? And and part of that struggle inside of me is that while I celebrate what God's doing in life of C3, and I, like, I haven't gotten over it. I don't think I ever will. I'm super excited about it. Don't know if you can tell. But, But I also understand that life is lived kind of like a train on two train tracks. And while amazing things are happening so often, difficult things are happening too. And so while we celebrate, you may have your own sadness, your own struggle, your own things that you're wrestling with. And so I've asked God to help me not only speak to our church about where we are, where we're headed, what God's doing, but also for the Holy Spirit to speak to us as individuals through this unique passage. It's a new chapter. It's Ruth chapter 2. It's no longer Ruth chapter 1. A change has taken place. 
In chapter 1, we find Naomi taking her husband and her two sons and, and leaving Bethlehem. And by the way, Bethlehem is known as, and in the language, known as the house of bread. But there was a famine in the land. And so Naomi takes her husband and her two sons, and they go to Moab. And her sons marry Moabite women. And they live there for about 10 years, and then there's this struggle where Naomi's husband dies, her sons die, and she has a desire to return home. In chapter 1, there's death. In chapter 1, there's struggle. In chapter 1, there's pain. In chapter 1, there's a sense of loss. But, but now it's chapter 2. And I think part of the reminder for us as individuals is you and I often live life in chapter 1. But chapter 2 is coming. If we look back over our years and scan the history of our lives, our lives are both written and lived in chapters and seasons. And, and there are those sweet chapters that we celebrate and we take in every word and we love what's happening in life. But then there are those chapters that we, we can't wait for them to be over. Like, do you remember, do you remember at the end of 2020, everybody's like, oh, I can't wait for 2021. And then we found out it's the twin of 2020. Like, we had no idea. But, but there are those times in life where we, we just want to get through it and we want it to be over. Yeah. Chapter 1 was tough. But now it's chapter 2. And in the life of C3, it's a new chapter. And I believe it's going to be the best one yet. But this, this little book, Ruth, is not inconsequential. This is not something small. This is not a book to be glanced at in passing and categorized as well. It's in the Old Testament and, you know, it's just there, there might be a few truths in there. there. There are profound truths in this little book. And part of what we have to realize is that while we're familiar maybe with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're familiar with the Apostle Paul who God used to write about half of the New Testament, we may be less familiar with Ruth, but it is no less powerful. We know the Psalms. We know the Proverbs, the Book of Wisdom. We've heard of that. But, but Ruth? Well, if there's no Ruth, there's no Book of Judges. If there's no Ruth, there's no Book of Kings. If there's no Ruth, the Book of Malachi gives no voice to the prophet and you and I don't even read it. If the book of Ruth does not exist, there's no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels in the New Testament. In fact, none of the 27 books in the New Testament would even exist if there were no Ruth. It all hinges on, on this, this book, Ruth. And this simple book contains a complicated theme that we are all too familiar with in life. And the theme is change. Now, there's something about the human condition. We resist change. We, we push back on change. We try to stop change, or at least maybe you've gotten on the crazy train of trying to control change, which is impossible to do. Even change that will ultimately benefit us, it brings tension. Why does change conjure up so many feelings? Perhaps it's that with change comes disturbance. You do not have change without disturbance. And disturbances we view as things to avoid or overcome in life. But they are the breeding ground of change. You can't have change without disturbance. Ladies, you, you can't decide you want to have a baby and keep your figure at the same time. It's impossible. You can't take a plant, whether it's a large plant or a small plant, and plant it in the ground and hope that it will grow and change without disturbing the soil around it. 
With change, disturbance comes every single time. Growth itself is a disturbance. Change always brings disturbance. And, and Ruth, this book that is about th- this complicated theme, change, is also about disturbance. And we have been disturbed. Our world has been disturbed. Our country has been disturbed. Your, your lives, your jobs have been disturbed. Fear has disturbed us. Questions bother us. Our conversations have been disturbed. There are things that we used to could talk about that you're not supposed to talk about anymore. There are opinions that we used to get hold and, and have discussions about that you're not supposed to do anymore. The ability to disagree and love each other and be kind has been disturbed. And a lot of changes are taking place. And what we know intuitively that we tend to forget to remember is that in the disturbed days, in every disturbance, there is an opportunity. We tend, when life gets disturbed, to focus on the disturbance. And when we focus on what's disturbed and what we're going to do about it and how painful it is or how big the struggle is, we can become so focused on the disturbance that we miss the opportunity that's found in the disturbance. And disturbance comes into each and every life. It's no respecter of persons. The the rich are disturbed and we're surprised by that and we think, how can the rich be disturbed? Well, they can be disturbed because no matter how rich you are, you cannot buy peace. The rich look at the poor and say, how could they ever be disturbed? They don't have anything. But no matter how little you have, you have something. The educated and the uneducated get disturbed. The attractive and the unattractive. Sometimes people think, man, if I I were just more attractive, I'd never be disturbed. Some of the craziest people I've ever met are people you would call attractive. They can be nuts. I just filtered two comments. I was going to say, but I didn't. I stopped myself. I stopped. It's a new chapter. But every disturbance has a unique opportunity. Make, Make no mistake. There will be disturbances in life. You get to decide. I get to decide. Will they make me or break me? Disturbances are going to come. They they ride in with every change. They are the breath of change. They happen around change. And the disturbance often feels bigger than the change. And and even if it's change, it's going to benefit us. And change, it's positive. There are these disturbances all around. And we get to decide how we process that and how we deal with that. You cannot stop it. But you can choose how you process it. And how we adjust to the change and the disturbance determines how much we grow. See, we have to be willing to change. To adjust to rethink, to reevaluate, to renew, to redo. If you want to enjoy success in your personal life, it will require many adjustments along the way. The older you live, the longer you live, the more you will change how you love. The longer you're a parent, I knew a lot more about parenting before I had kids. I was an expert. I mean, you've ever met those people that don't have kids and they're going to tell you 15 ways to put your kid to bed on time and raise a healthy kid and they don't know jack. Listen, one of the biggest things you can do in life, learn to consider the source. 
Whoever's giving you the advice, people that have walked through seven levels of hell and been through a lot of pain and had struggle in life and have experienced some failure because there are lessons you learn in failure you never learn in success. People that have walked through that and still smile and have made something of their lives, they have a lot of credibility with me. People that have plain vanilla lives that never been through much, they can talk all day. It's in one ear, out the other. You've got to learn to consider the source when you're, when you're listening to people. And we've got to learn to be willing to change. Our culture, I think, in some ways is rejecting change. It, it, it should be okay to make a stupid, ignorant comment 10 years ago and change. Where do we get this idea that everybody is supposed to be born perfect and never say anything wrong? You can't do that and I can't either. We should celebrate growth. We should celebrate change. We should say, thank God you don't think like that anymore. Thank God I don't think like that anymore. Growth should be celebrated and embraced. We should allow room for people to grow and change. But we let the disturbance take over and we become disturbed and perturbed because somebody does something we don't like and we are experts at evaluating and nitpicking other people's lives while guarding our own thoughts and acting like we have nothing wrong with ourselves. How we adjust to change determines how much we grow. The way we parent will change. The way we work will change. Hopefully, the more you're in your job, you learn to work smarter and you you learn how to be more efficient. The way we train, the way we study, the way we communicate, all these things, we have to change if we want to grow. As we grow, there should be change. And through that growth, it is essential to remember, you cannot become more attached to your plan for growth than your purpose for life. One of the things that change brings is Okay, well, now I want to tweak this and I want to make sure I, I, I earn this or I make this or I want to. We, we develop all of these plans. And as followers of Jesus and C3, listen, as we come into this building, we have some plans, but we cannot be more attached to our plans than our purpose. We even do it as Christ followers in this room. Some people love the way they worship Jesus more than they love the Jesus they worship. We fall into our plans of, I like that. Oh, if they sing that song, that's my favorite. I, I just, and we, we, we love how we do certain things rather than the one that we're worshiping. We get so caught up in our plans. And I think it comes from some insecurities because change happens and disturbance comes. And we don't like the disturbances. So we make our plans. And a lot of our plans are to avoid disturbances. But sometimes the only change that can happen that can bring real growth is going to involve some disturbances. Without it, we can't grow. And one of our challenges in life is to be aware and avoid the natural drift to being more attached to our plans than our purpose. Our identity is found in our purpose, not our plans. And our identity as a church is found in the purpose God has for us, not our address. And while I am deeply grateful for the story that God is writing and the facilities that he's provided. This is nothing more than an opportunity to reach and help more people. We will not worship a building and our plans will not drive what happens in this building. It will be our purpose that stays at the front of everything we are. Our address has changed, but our purpose is not. We are all about connecting communities with Christ, helping people know God in a personal way, helping people's lives be restored and marriages be healed and kids find significance in who they are. And that is the same no matter what our address is. But in life, when our normal is shattered, change happens. 
and life feels unstable. It's not our plans that will be our anchor. It's our purpose that will provide a solid foundation of hope. Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it's a good thing in life to make plans. We, we need to be thinking and calculating and considering and have ambition. Those are good things. But we trust God to direct our steps. We hold on loosely to what we determine and tightly to how and where God directs. And that's not only true in your life and mine. It's true for the life of our church. We, we've made plans. We have incredible plans. I wish I could tell you about some of the meetings I had this week and the plans we have. Because if you remember, we've always talked about the vision for C3 being a building that's not just a church, but a building that is a community center. And inviting people to use these facilities and helping people go further and faster in life. We want to, listen, I have no interest in building an empire. I want to build lives. And I believe God has put in each and every person a calling and a purpose. And we want to be a part of helping to facilitate that. And what could have taken 20 years, what, it could, what if it could happen in two years? And how do we approach that? And so maybe you... Maybe you teach music lessons and you want to use this facility uh, for a recital. Use it. No charge. And maybe you teach gymnastics. Ceiling's a little low. Get some good insurance, but, but you, you can go crazy. Like, there are things we're thinking about that I can't wait to share with you. We, we've made some plans, and we're making plans. And Angie and I had a meeting this past week, and we've got a meeting that's coming uh, this next week about some stuff. If it happens, oh, my gosh, if it happens. Can I tell them? I probably shouldn't say anything yet. But, but there's some things that are coming. You've got to come back next week, see? That's what's got to happen. But, but we have big plans, but we will remain more attached to God's purpose than our plans. And we will hold on to our plans loosely and allow God to direct that and to guide that. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for the times in my life that I had plans and God had a different purpose. And I'm so grateful for the times that I chose to follow that. And there have been sometimes some of my greatest struggles in life are when I kicked through a door because I had plans, but it wasn't God's purpose. And then you try to back out of that, and that's always more painful than getting into it. But we're asking in the life of C3, we're asking God to direct our steps in three specific ways. First, direct us to who we should invite. Church, we are an inviting church. We have a culture of inviting. We invest in relationships to invite The people that live within 15 minutes and even further this church, a lot of them are hurting. A lot of them are hopeless. A lot of them are struggling with mental and emotional health. A lot of their kids are struggling with mental and emotional health. And and this is going to sound like I'm overly simplifying and I don't mean it like that. All of those struggles are completely valid. But I believe to the core of my being that Jesus is the answer to every single issue. I believe that with everything in me. And sometimes, sometimes that's not the flip of the light switch. Sometimes that's a journey and a process where we make progress day by day. And sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. But, but however it happens, Jesus has the ability to change lives. And for that to happen, we've got to be inviting. Now, you might from time to time see billboards like you have or radio spots or mailers that go out or Facebook ads. You'll see those things. But that is not what's going to grow our church to help people. It's not those things. It's not banners by streets or signs on fences. It is your personal invitation because God has put you strategically in relationship with people and some of them are struggling more than you know. You're not surprised this week. I've been inviting a lot of people 
And, and I think there are about seven different families that have come today that told me they were coming. There are more that I invited. But one of the things that happens when you invite, people trust you with more. Now, not if, you're, not if you're obnoxious. I mean, we use a phrase in the life of C3 called try it once. You know why we use that phrase try it once? Have you ever been around an obnoxious religious person that just browbeats you and makes you feel stupid and acts like they're better than everybody? There's something about the phrase try it once that's engaging in a safe way. You can check it out. We're not going to think any less of you if you don't come back. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you the secret to try it once. The secret is you. I am absolutely convinced after getting the pleasure and the privilege of being your pastor and getting to know so many of you, I am convinced that when people come to this place and experience not me, not our worship team, even though they're phenomenal, no, when they, when they experience you, they're going to decide to come back. When they come just one weekend and see how you greet and how you smile and how you welcome and how you invest in kids and the difference you make in who you are, man, I, I, I want the world to know Jesus and I want the world to know you because you are a life-changing people. And so the power of inviting, we've got to keep. So direct us in our inviting. Who are you going to invite next week? Who has God strategically placed you in relationship with in your workplace, on your street? You're not just here to breathe and take up space. There are people that God has put around you that he's counting on you to make a difference. And it's as simple as, hey, you should come check out C3 with me next Sunday. I go there. I love it. I think you would too. Try it once. Man, the difference that makes in a few seconds. We're also asking God to direct us in where we should be serving. Those of you that serve, I want to thank you. Those of you that lead teams of people that serve, thank you. I mean, I think it was five weeks ago we announced, hey, we got space. But the the, the cool thing about space is you got to staff it. I mean, you you, you got to serve. Like more people are coming, we got to be able to serve. I, I haven't seen the numbers. I don't know what they'll be, but a lot more people today than the last few months, I guarantee you. And you stepped up. But the reason we ask people to serve, it's not for C3. It's for you. See, you were born, you were created for significance. And one of the mistakes we make in life is we spend so much time chasing success, we miss significance. When you chase significance, you'll have success. And there's nothing more significant than being a part of something that is the hope of the world that God designed and created to make a difference in lives and giving 60 minutes out of your week and you've got 10,000, 20 minutes left over to make a difference in people's lives. Those of you that serve in the parking lot, God turned on some great weather for you today. Those of you that serve in kids, those of you that are in connections out there in the lobby, those are the you that, that, that are on set up and tear down. Oh, wait, we don't have that anymore. Those of, you, those of you that are a part of C3, some of you do come early, set up signs and stuff. Man, God is using that to change lives. The secret sauce of C3 is you and what God is doing in your life. Did you know research shows people make a decision within 12 seconds as to whether or not they're going to come back to a church? And that 12 seconds is before they even get into this room, before they hear the first song or hear any kind of message from me. It is you. And so I want you to experience a significant life, a meaningful life. I want you to know that no matter what's going on in any other area of life, your life matters and you are making a difference. That's why we talk about serving. And so, man, be praying. God, direct us to where we should be serving. And then direct us to how we should be giving. We've talked about that the last few weeks, the I will so we can. And giving over and above to put us in a stronger position to reach and help more people than we ever had before. God, direct us in that. Our prayer, Jesus, direct our steps. That's true not just for C3 Church. That's true for you, and it's true for me. This morning we are in Ruth chapter 2. But in chapter 1, 
It's difficult. Naomi leaves her home and what she's known. She takes her husband and her two sons, and she goes to a land where she doesn't know if she'll be accepted. A land where there was tension between those people and Naomi's people. A land where she would wonder every day, are they talking about me? What are they saying about me? You know, one of the things that's interesting to me in life, we always assume when we think people are talking about us that they're saying bad things. Always. We never walk in a room and say, oh, they're talking about me and it's all good. They think I'm the stuff. I mean, we, we never think like that. We always assume, oh, they don't like me. What are they saying about me? Why are they putting me down? What are they talking about? The most powerful words you will ever speak are the ones you say to yourself. And so often in life, it's about what other people think about you. And we tell ourselves stories and we believe stories in our minds that don't even exist in real life. But Naomi is dealing with all that tension and all that stress and she's left and she's made some changes and she's gone to a new place because the house of bread had developed a famine. When it gets bad enough, Naomi decides she has to go. She's got to be somewhere else. There have got to be some changes. When When it gets bad enough, when we've had enough, When there's a famine in your spiritual life, a famine in your your mental life, a famine in your relational life or your emotional life, when the famine gets bad enough and you've had enough, you'll be willing to move to a place that God can do something special. And some of you, many of you, that's your story of why you're here. Have you ever noticed in life sometimes there are people you try to help and people you pray for and people you talk to, maybe a friend or a family member, and they they just won't make the change? Famine's not bad enough yet. You can't change people that don't want to change. But you can keep loving and you can keep inviting and you can be patient. I am so glad that God is so patient with me. You can continue to be patient. But some of you, your life has been in a famine. Your hopes, famine. Your marriage, famine. Your parenting, famine. Isn't it interesting if you're a parent? If you have multiple kids, Angie says all the time, you're never happier than your most unhappy child. And there's a unique burden that we carry as parents. Because what we know as parents, kids, don't listen. Don't don't listen to me in the next few minutes. Parents, what we know is we haven't even figured this out ourselves. Angie and I look at each other all the time and I say to her, I can't believe we're in charge. (laughs) Like, nobody's there to tell me to go to bed or what I should eat. Like, we're we're in charge. Like, there's weight that comes with that. And the struggle as a parent is nothing is more precious to you than your children. But you haven't even figured out your own life. How are you going to help them? Hey, I've got some good news. That's what the church is for. That's what Jesus is for. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. But... But you can be walking through a famine in your parenting. Some of you, your finances are in a famine. And you have tried to figure out every way you can to fix it. And you haven't been able to because you can't. How much worse does it have to get before you say, I got to go? I got to go. Enough's enough. I've got to go to the word of God. I've got to be around the people of God. I've got to experience what God can do in my life and my family and my relationships and my finances. I've got to go. I've got to stop where I've been and I've got to move to somewhere new. And when you're ready, we're, we're here because your future is our focus. In this place with, with these people, loving God and loving others is more than just a saying. It's a lifestyle. We exist to help you. Hey, C3, it's a new chapter. We've done this before, but in a new way, in a fresh way, in a bigger way, in a more impacting way, in a more strategic way. 
in a way that has a greater reach. We exist to help people exit their famines. That's what we're going to be all about. Naomi and her two husbands, husbands, her husband and her two sons, they leave from Moab. I mean, there are people with multiple spouses, but that's not this message. They, 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 leave, they leave from Moab. They're leaving all they've known because there has to be a change. The livestock have been decimated. Every lifestyle, every income level has been affected. And, and no matter what direction the wind blows, you can smell the stench of death in the air because of the famine. Because in a famine, things die. A famine is where life suffers. The famines are brought to us. Through drought. It is the highway of drought that a famine rides on to come into our lives. And that's interesting because drought is the highway famines use, but where there is water, there's growth. And scripture teaches us in Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters, the calming waters, the subtle waters, the waters that are deep enough and have enough. He he restores my soul. See, we want to be where the water is. We want to be where life is found. I wonder if part of your struggle could be, I know at times in my life it has been that we can spend a lot of our time around dried up people that don't water our soul and we can grow comfortable with that. It's what you've known. Naomi makes this radical decision. She senses something in her spirit and she decides, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go to a new place. Enough is enough. I'm going to take my chances. And there's always risk involved. Listen, <laughs> I, had a, I had two pastor friends say, are, are, you, are, you, are you sure, like, uh, are you sure you want to commit to paying more for a permanent building with where we are in the economy and COVID? Like, are you, you know, you, you got it pretty good at the high school. You got a sweet deal there and it's a lot more money for a permanent look. Are, are you sure you want to do that? Listen. All I know to say to you is when God says do something, I want to be the first in line to do it. And in any change, you're going to take risk. But the last thing I want to do, hey, I'm 50, none your business. And the last thing I want to do, you get to my age and often in pastor world, you start thinking, okay, how can we calm things down? How can we just slide into an easy retirement and take things easy? I hope I never retire. I hope one day you got to will me out here. I'll put my teeth in and I'll try to talk for a few minutes. But listen, there's nothing in me that wants to slow down or put it on cruise control because people are hurting. People are hopeless. People are struggling. And there's never been a greater moment than for the church to be the church than right now. And this, oh, it's a risk. But listen. The risk is for God to keep his word. The risk is for God to keep his promise. He set the stage. He put it all in place. And we are going to chase him and pursue him because too many people are living in famines. And Naomi decides we've got to make some changes. I can't remain in this stagnant famine. It makes so much sense when we see it in the lives of others. You look at a friend that's been talking to you and you're thinking and you even talk with your spouse. but They need to leave that job. Man, what's going on? They they need to sell that house. But what's interesting is how quickly we can see it in others and how rarely we see it in ourselves. We see the changes everybody else needs to make. But our own changes, oh, we've got excuses and reasons. We've got got it all figured out. And we've grown comfortable with less than. I think one of the most tragic things in the world would be to die after living a life of less than. With all that God has for you and the purpose he has for you and the plans that he has for you and what he wants to do in and through your life. We only get to do this once. What you get to experience and I get to experience, 
I listen, it's part of the reason, even if I were not pastor, I'd be here every single week. I do not want to pop in and out mentality when it comes to what God can do in my life because maybe in 52 weeks a year, there are two weeks we don't meet, maybe in 50 weeks a year, God wants to drop things in my life that over time is going to grow me and change me and some of it will involve disturbances, but he's going to help me be the person he called me to be and help me be more like Jesus and I'd rather have 50 times a year and grow faster than 12 times a year and I'm on, I'm on. It's why it matters. Naomi arrives in Moab. She spends years there. Her sons get married. And then her husband dies. And her sons die. And suddenly she's now in a different famine. A harsher famine. And maybe you've been there. It's a famine of love. There's nobody there now to tell her good morning. Nobody hugs her anymore and says, I love you. There's no presence of those looking to mom for nurturing and advice. And a famine of love can be just as damaging, if not more so, than a famine for food. Never a hug, never a touch, never that level of knowing and connection. She's no longer told she's beautiful. She's no longer appreciated. So she decides, I'm going back home. And one of her daughter-in-laws, one of her daughter-in-laws Orpa, I don't know why I just keep wanting to call her Oprah, but Orpa, Orpa, kisses her goodbye and decides not to go with her. She decides to go in the beginning. Naomi's able to talk her out of it, so she kisses her goodbye. She's, she's decided to stay. Some of you, part of your famine has been created because somebody kissed you goodbye. Some people are more attached to you where you are than where you're going. They love you, but they love where you are right now more. And if you're going to change, it's going to create a distance that they can't follow. And when you leave, they won't go with you. They'll kiss you goodbye. Judas. Judas kissed Jesus goodbye. It meant that there would be no books in the Bible written by him. It meant that there would be no churches started by him. It meant that there would be no good news spread through him. Judas was cool following Jesus as long as Jesus did what Judas thought he should. But his real commitment was not with Jesus. It was with the environment around Jesus. And when the environment around Jesus changed, Judas kissed him goodbye. Orpah stays in Moab rather than taking a risk. And then there's Ruth. And Ruth simply says, I'm going with you. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It's two verses that are often used in weddings. But the meaning of this is much deeper than a moment in a wedding. It's the heart cry of a soul committed for life. Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, where you go, Ruth speaking to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And Naomi is home now. She's returned to Bethlehem and Ruth goes with her. But if Ruth had not moved with Naomi to Bethlehem, David would never have been king. He was only born because of Ruth's courage to move to Bethlehem with Naomi. Chapter 2 turns the page. They're in a new location, a new atmosphere. It took courage and now it's a new day. Hey, C3, for us as a church, just for a moment if I could, in this new chapter, we are going to help people leave famines of life and famines of love. We have no idea 
what's going to be born in our future because we will love God and we will love others in authentic ways. We have no idea what God's going to start and God's going to establish. We're going into this next chapter, bringing people to and some people back to the house of bread. And we will make our plans, but we will hold on loosely. We will relentlessly attach ourselves to the purpose that God has called us to. It will be God's purpose over our plans. C3 stands for connecting communities with Christ. We will always be addicted to life change and go after people so they can experience the love that God offers and help people understand that no matter who you are, you are just as valuable to a holy God as anybody else. And that God invites you to call him father no matter who you are. And we want every person to experience the life God God created you to live. That's what we will hold on to in a very tight way. And I'm asking God to use us, to use you and me, people. One of my favorite places in all of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, where, where the disciples are called ordinary untrained men. Ordinary untrained people. All you need is a heart for Jesus and the Spirit of God working through your life. And you can live a life that others dream of. And you will have more significance than most people that breathe in this life. See, there's a difference in having an existence and having a life. And it's my passion that you have a life. And I'm going to do everything I can in leading us into the future for you to have a life and us to help our neighbors and our classmates and our teammates and our work associates and our friends and our families know what it is to live a life infused by the love of God and the presence of God and the power of God walking with you in this life. That's who we are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the reality of your love and for this, this first day in this new chapter. God, thank you for every single person in this room, every man, every woman, every young person. And Father, in these moments, if there's anyone that's been in a famine of spiritual love, I pray your spirit would draw them. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know deep down inside that the greatest need of your life is to know God in a personal way. To invite Jesus to come into your life and forgive your sin and live inside you. If that's where you are, I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray this prayer out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ and begin a new chapter, just pray, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. I want to invite you to grab your cell phone and just shoot me a text. Just put your first name and send it to 407-487-8311. Here's